Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's February 3rd, 2017. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. You know, the topic of ego has come up quite a few times on our show over the past decade. Only when we talk about you. And I know it'll shock the hell out of you, yeah, that I, I have quite the ego. I, I know you're surprised by that. Um, but I gotta tell you, having an ego isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Um, and, and I think I think poker players should take this to heart, because uh, I, I think it can cost you a lot of money at the table. And Really? It really can, this and not groundbreaking. But this I'm not talking like about the kind of guy. No, no, I'm not talking about the kind of guy that you know doesn't want to fold a hand, and so he calls for ego. And I'm, I'm talking about. I mean, you ever notice how many times people, after a hand ends, whether they're won it or lost it, or even they weren't even in it, you know, will offer their comments on the hand. I'm just trying to figure out what you're hoping to accomplish by this. Let, Let's say you're in a hand with somebody and you fold. As they take the pot, you know, you pipe up with like, "Oh, this is what I thought you had. This is why I thought you. This is what I did. This why I did that. And um, this is what I thought you could have had. What I could, you know, why, why, why are we doing this? I mean, seriously, if there's somebody at that table who's rather astute, you know, they're going to be able to use this information against you. You're, you're basically giving them a window into how you think. So unless you have this like remarkable talent for reading people and manipulation, it's only going to get you into trouble. You know, most do it because they don't want to appear foolish or ignorant, you know, and I'm as guilty as anyone and I really should stop doing it. But I, I started to think about it. It was I, with this idea at Mark's home game and I, it might've been the watermelon hand or something that I talked about on the show, but you start to explain to them why you bet the way you bet and all of a sudden you're like you know you realize you just told everyone that when you flop two pair you'll bet pot because you want to you know and so now you start to but your ego especially when you lose a hand or when you fold a hand people start to explain their actions because they're afraid that you don't think their their ego is so important to them that they that you don't want others to think that you're an inferior player you want them to think you're a better player than you are and it's a terrible, terrible thing to have. And I, I, I'm working on it. I'm working on it in all facets. Um, but it's tough. But I, I, it was that home game specifically that I really, you know, I started to feel. It. And then even when I went, you know, the restock and stuff, listening to people play when I was at the restock, you could hear them talking to each other about, oh, you had to have that thing. And I'm just thinking, just why can't you, you know, it's it's the same with physical tells. You know, the least, you know, as Joe would say, you sit in that little perch. So you're giving off the least amount of information, and yet when the hand's over, you start talking, and you tell them everything anyway. And you got to get away from that if you want to be a good play, a live player. I mean, there's a lot of people who listen to us who still can play online and things, but if you want to be a good player live, you need to lose the ego, you know. And I, and you don't have any ego at that table. You have an ego everywhere else, but you don't have one at the table really, or you don't you don't really talk much at all at the table when we play. Well, yeah, I've always thought that this is the most interesting thing about watching poker players is that it's a game of information. So the more information you give your opponent, the stronger they're going to be, right? Yeah. So the the quieter you are about at least about the play, you know, um, and what you did and what you didn't do or what somebody else did and didn't do. Every time you talk, that's giving them information. And I've never really understood that. Uh, I mean, I... I let me back up. I understand why people do it, but I don't understand why they don't realize that they shouldn't. Yeah. And I think that's probably what you're coming to. Yeah. Because I think you're right. I mean, we all we all want um, 
you know, confirmation that we know what we're doing in life, right? It's always right. nice to have someone say, hey, that was a really good play, or wow, I didn't know, uh, why'd you make that move? And then you explain to them, like, whoa, I never thought about that. So I, I get that. I get that. Um, but now you've just helped that person beat you. Yeah. So, you know, I guess that's why I kind of like the home game is because, you know, obviously we, no one sits down there wanting to lose, everybody sits down there wanting to win, but... The group we have now, I think, we just really like learning poker and being with each other. Um, so I feel more comfortable having those conversations. And we, we've had some really good conversations at the home game, you know. Some, some hands, we, I'm still talking about them three hours later. Right. Because I'm thinking out loud about it. Because I feel safe having that discussion there. Because, yeah, I know it's going to make it harder for me to win money from all of you. Uh, but it's good having those conversations with people that are willing to have those conversations back are going to help me win money from people outside that game. Yes, uh, yes. So it's good to have those conversations there. But when I'm just out in, in, in a normal room, you know, I, I don't feel like I need to be Professor Scott explaining why I made any moves. You know, I'm quite happy just being sheepishly there and thinking people think I'm an idiot. And that was one of the things that contributed to this thought was we were we had two new players in that recent home game and then we even had one other player who was he's been in our home game a few times but he's not a regular he's not in every one of them so it was like three of the eight people there don't really know exactly how i play or at least you know only know a little bit of of how i play and so i thought why am i volunteering all this information to these people why am i making it sound like i know what i'm doing i should make it sound like i don't know what i'm doing so then i can use that to my advantage and it and it's like, just keep your mouth shut. Just play poker, and and when the hand's over, then have your little fun with your friends and conversations. But, but you're right. Like in this case, it wasn't one of those normal home games that we have, where it's right. the core six of us that have been together since 2000, you know, seven or whatever. But uh, even so, I just I felt like there was there's a time and a place for everything, and maybe when it's all over, and you guys are sitting around having pizza or Chinese food or something, and you're you walk into your car or something, then you're like, oh, that hand, you know. But right there in the moment. You're just feeding everybody at that table information about how you play. And if you're lying, it's a lot of times, unless, like I said, unless you're like this remarkable talent for manipulation and lying, it's going to come back to haunt you because most people will figure out that what you're saying doesn't make sense. You know, they're, they're like, hey, you know, if you really did have that, you never would have done this on this street or whatever. So then they know you're lying. So then whenever you talk now, they're like, because there's a player, I'm not going to say who it is, but there is a player in our home game plays occasionally who every hand he would have won had he played it. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but there's there's someone in there that's always like, hey, no matter what, ah, oh, I folded the winner. Oh, and it's like, okay, you know, it, you wouldn't have because I was holding the other one in my hand, so there's no way you had two of them because there's two of them. You know what I mean? There's people and lying the all the time. The thing that I think is about uh, table talk, too, is even if you're trying to, to do misdirection, like you're mentioning here, right? Mm-hmm. You, it's a dangerous thing to do because one people might have hard evidence that you're lying right right as you said i you know you couldn't have had it because i had one in my hand and i saw another one out there right um so now your whole jig is up right um but beyond that i think again my my experience is the smartest players at the table have been the quietest ones the ones that just sit there and take in what's happening so those are the people that are are you know, following the action when they're not even the hand, and they're trying to figure out what people have and why they're playing. So now, when you are you're forwarding misdirection, they're like, "No way!" You know, I've already followed. I know exactly what you're trying to do. I, I don't have you completely figured out, but I know that's not what you were doing. Right. <laughs> so now you're just making yourself sound worse, or you're confirming the one or two pieces of information that that person didn't have about you at that point. So. Yeah, I, I think in a, in a public game with people that you don't know, it's best just to keep quiet when someone berates you. Just laugh and smile and say, oop, yep, I don't know what I'm doing, and rake in their chips um, and, and not not defend. And, and you know, as you mentioned, I guess it's the ego thing that, you know, hey, I can't let somebody tell me I'm stupid when I'm not. Exactly. Um, just let it go and, you know. You know, I'm not out there for... I mean, I, I guess it's a little different for you and me. You know, we have our Randy F stuff on, so we want 
you know, even though we were completely honest with people that we don't know what we're doing <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> we still want people to kind of feel like we know what they're doing. So there might be a little bit more pressure for us to explain stuff like that. Uh, but even that I've resisted, you know. Instead, what I like to do is I try to turn the conversation to things going on in the poker world, places I've been, um, legislation, things like that that I can speak intelligently about um, that's not giving away anything in my game. And then, you know, maybe at that point that people say, oh, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about, even if he, I think he's the worst player I've ever seen at this table. <laughs> yep. Uh, when maybe I'm not the worst player at the table, I'm just, you know, playing my game and not telling you how I'm playing all right, well, let's move on to news now. The uh, American Poker Awards nominations have been announced. Of course, they would be a week after we talked about the categories being changed, right? That's right. Yeah. Master of publicity there, right? Um, and uh, any up is not among them. <laughs> uh, we were on the list of uh, what I call suggested nominees uh, for best mid-major poker tour, but Heartland Poker Tour, Mid-States Poker Tour, the World Series of Poker Circuit, and WPT Deep Stacks were the nominees in that category. And we were also on the list of suggested nominees for Best Podcast, uh, but Poker Life, Full Contact Poker, Poker News Podcast, and 2 Plus 2 Podcast made the cut instead. There is still uh, hope that our Restock the Shelves Food Bank initiative with Blue Shark Optics, which has fed more than 87,000 people this year, might be recognized by the jury for Charity Initiative of the Year. If you remember last week's show, uh, they're not doing nominees for that. They're just going to recognize a one or more uh, worthy people. Uh, at the actual event. Uh, but the full list of nominees can be found at AmericanPokerAwards.com and winners will be announced February 23rd in Beverly Hills, California. Well, as we just said, you know, it, it's about ego, so don't... Uh, exactly. we, we're all right with this. I mean, uh, you yeah. know, it's not like, you know, we're doing this big production for the show. It's two guys talking. You know what I mean? And it's not like our tour is worldwide or... Or in a million places, you know, we're we're a smallish tour. We know that, so we're not letting ego get to this. We're, we're fine with this. But I was I was conf- you know I was pretty convinced that we were going to get at least one nomination, um, but we didn't. That's okay too. Yeah, I, I actually would have been shocked if we were on the best mid-major poker tour. Yeah, me I too. Explain to people all the time. You know, it's called the Ania Poker Tour, but it's we're not running it as an actual tour. Right. It's a different product. Um, and we're trying to have great events with it, but it's not structured the same way as HPT or Mid-States or the Circuit or WPT, which are all phenomenal, um, actual, real-life poker tours. So right. that one uh, was not a shock at all. And in fact, actually, I would have been surprised if we did make the cut on that one. Uh, I did have a little bit of hope that maybe we would squeak in on Best Podcast, you know, because I don't know if you heard, but we are for the longest continually running poker podcast <laughs> uh, in the world. Um, that should count for something. But uh, but again, you know, even with the changes they made this year, which I applauded last week and I will continue to applaud, um, it is still very specific, uh, pro-player specific on right. this stuff. So um, I think those other ones are, are more focused towards people that like pros or listen to pros or uh, want to be in that pro lifestyle and I don't think there's too many of our listeners who are listening in uh, hoping to be starstruck by Scott and Chris right <laughs> it reminds me of the whole MVP argument you know does the MVP of baseball need to actually be on a winning team or does is he the most valuable player to his team or is he the most valuable player in the league same thing with this I mean Okay, so if everyone's starstruck with, you know, oh, I want to hear about how the greatest players in the world play and live their lives and everything, yeah, we're not going to do that. But if your criteria is, hey, I'm an average guy, I want to hear two other average guys talk about poker and give us a an update on what's going on in the world and, and give away prizes and stuff, well, then maybe that's the podcast we fit into. So just yeah. depends on who's doing the nominations, and we just don't fit in their criteria. So I'm fine yeah. with that. Oh, and here's the other thing, too. The other part that makes it easy not to have any go about it is even if we had been nominated, uh, we had almost zero chance of winning. So, right? Right. We just required one of us flying to Beverly Hills, California to be disappointed. So. <laughs> well, we could have someone there accept on our behalf, like they yeah. do in the Oscars. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> But yeah, you know, again, I'm always glad that uh, somebody's out there doing American Poker Awards. The changes have been good this year, so uh, good luck to all those who are nominated in all the other categories, and um, you know, better luck for us next year. Yep. All right, so the other news we talked about this before too, but after three weeks of heads-up matches and 
computer program by Carnegie Mellon University. Researchers beat four pros for almost $1.7 million in fake money. Got to mention fake money. They won't play for real money. Right. Uh, but more important to the artificial intelligence researchers, the $14.70 per hand win rate crushed the $7.70 per hand win rate. That was the threshold for the results to be determined to be, quote, statistically significant. Uh, the four pros got to split $200,000 based on how well they did against Libertros. Libertis. Libertis. <laughs> keep screwing it up. I don't know how to say uh, it. At the Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh. Could be Libratus. Libratus. There we go. That's um, so that's interesting. I mean, it, it's a little scary, to be honest with you. It's, a, it's incredibly scary, depending on how much you want to let yourself be scared by it. So uh, what I mean by that is, you know, what's great is that they, they've now taught a computer to play a game that is takes so much human skill, right? Yeah. So uh, we t- I don't want to rehash everything we talked about a couple weeks ago, but... Um, so from a scientific and from a wonderment standpoint, and for somebody like me that just loves every time a satellite makes it to another galaxy, this is amazing stuff. Exciting, right? Mm. The downside is, again, I think we may have mentioned this when we first talked about that, that movie Her, you know, where the computers literally take over the world. Yeah. After you've taught them how to be human, that's the scary part, right? Yep. So eventually, now, now we, we, now that we know that we can teach computers to essentially be human at the poker table, um, means they could be human everywhere else, and that has amazing applications and amazing fears. I would. Uh, the other thing is, there's always some sort of caveat in these things, and another one comes up when you have to remind everyone it's fake money. Now, to the computer, the computer doesn't have feelings toward money, it, but humans do. So the human who was playing these four pros could have been like, eh, it's fake money. Or it could have been, well, I'm playing for 200 grand, you know, a split of 200 grand based on how well I do. So they could have been trying harder or they could not have been trying as hard. So I'm not trying to just keep denying this. I'm not in denial. I'm just saying. You're not an AI denier. Yeah, right. There's just still, there's still an element. Like, let's take the computer and enter them in the World Series and have somebody stand there behind them and, you know, and see how the computer does in the World Series. So, because the computer is still doing it, you're just literally moving the person around. You let everybody know, this is the computer, so you're playing against a bot here, and then see how it does. And, and then, well, That's true, too. We talked about this before, that this is heads up, so yeah. it's not as monumental as it could be if it was a, uh, a whole sit-and-go uh, single-table tournament, or a multi-table tournament. That's right, next right. Step. I mean, even if you want to enter the computer into the, the heads-up gym, Jim, I don't care. Just put it in there and see what it does. Because that now... Right? You know that NBC thing? Yeah, exactly. Now you can put it in there as an invitational. No one can really, you know, whine about it at all. And, and that would be amazing for viewers. That's our next uh, big poker boom right there. Right? Yeah, computer versus human poker on TV all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then that because it's it's the equivalent of that like deep blue against Kasparov and all that stuff in chess. I mean, it, to me, that was thrilling. I mean, people didn't really tune in for it, but they had huge news about it. That's something that I would love to see them like literally. And if they win money, the money goes to the school, you know, for you know whatever research or even scholarship or something. And if it doesn't, then you got to work at it and get it better. You know, as long as you're ponying up the money to put them in, why not let the computer play? It's interesting. I, I well, think that means. I definitely want it to be the robot from Rocky Four. <laughs> oh man, Polly's robot. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Don't forget your luggage, Polly. <laughs> that would be awesome. If that was. That would that would help a lot. Oh, uh, you're but, uh, Seriously, back to what you said. I, I think the, the way they set this up, you're right. It's not perfect, but I do want to give uh, Carnegie Mellon and whoever else was involved in setting this experiment up credit for kind of thinking through some of that stuff. So, um, you know, if they had four pros that sat down and no, there's all fake money and they got nothing out of it, um, then that would be more suspect, right? Yeah. But the fact that they they ponied up 200000 so now these four pros knew that the better they did, the more of that 200000 they got, um, kind of helped replicate some of that, right? It's not the same as if they got... 1.7 million, right? But at least there's enough there, I think, that that would encourage the pros to play properly. Yes, I agree. Um, and, I, and I had kind of an forgotten. an interesting that. way of doing it. Yeah. Right? When I was talking about the fake money thing, I had forgotten that they were going to be rewarded for 
But even then, they're still not using their money. It's still a free roll. That's correct. You know, so That's it's true. still statistically kind of slanted. But anyway, I think it's impressive as hell, and I'm very intrigued by it. And I would like to see that thing performing in a round, full ring table or something and see what happens. But So how many years do you think it is going to be for uh, robots replace us on the NEA podcast? Uh, three. Four. And, and, and Four. Just, for, <laughs> just for our listeners out there that are waiting and just can't wait for that day to happen, robots not going to mess up words like I do. That's right. Could take a whole new AI program to teach it to act uh, purposely mangle words. <laughs> you almost did it right there again, too. That was excellent. <laughs> hey, any updates? Our any up poker cruise schedule includes a 14 night transatlantic to Barcelona, a summer cruise, and many more. Get details, including how you can win your way on board at anyupcruises.com. All passengers get a commemorative coin souvenir uniquely designed for each sailing by thepokerdepot.com and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. Also, if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Annie Up in your home area, apply at annieupmagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have immediate openings in Michigan, North Florida, and Louisiana. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails at podcast at com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com, poker's best social networking site and home of the Annie Up group discussions. Comes from Dean Ratliff in Australia. Says, I've been an avid listener of your poker cast since I discovered it about two years ago. I love how you embrace all the different poker variations, and I particularly like the recent Hand of the Week from the Watermelon Game. Inspired by this, I've dipped my toes into the waters of mixed games playing a $2.20 eight-game online tournament. We still have online poker here in Australia, but maybe not much longer. Previously, I'd uh, been scared off by any game that wasn't Hold'em, so thank you for giving me the initiative to step outside my comfort zone. One thing that surprised me was how the skill of picking spots transferred between games. I stole a number of pots in unfamiliar games just by recognizing opportunities where opponents were likely to be weak. Ironically, I was eliminated in the Hold'em and Hold'em round. Uh, what do you think are the skills that transfer best between games? Have you found that experiencing different games has improved your poker education and taught you things in one game that you've applied to another? Yeah, we, we, uh, it's been a while since we've had a question like this, I think, so it's always good to, to refresh that. But uh, I think the, the big thing that we've always promoted mixed games for is that it exercises different poker muscles, right? Yes, yep, we've done that before. So <clears throat> when you're in a no-limit game of any kind, that's one kind of set of poker muscles because, you know, all your chips can be at risk at any particular junction. Um, you know, pot limit's a little different because you can still put a lot of pressure on somebody with a bet, but you can't, you know, necessarily put them out on one moment. And then limit, you know, you don't have that same leverage that you have in no-limit, so you have to learn what I call the hand, hand-to-hand combat of poker. Um, so that's why I like to play uh, all the different games because once you learn that you can't just shove all in uh, where you sense weakness, now you've got to figure out how else to uh, get that player's chips. You've got to be a little bit more savvy about it. And once you've learned that, how to do that, now you can go back to no limit, hold them, and maybe you learn maybe all in is not always the right move. Yeah. You know, maybe I can do that thing I did in limit or pot limit. Uh, to get more of that uh, player's chips than what I did before, so I uh, I think he actually recognized the skill himself too when he asks what are the the ones that transfer best between games. He talked about picking up spots, you know, where people were weak and he stole pots. And I think betting is a huge skill that transfers between all the games. The idea of position and betting, um, because every game there's still position, um, regardless of whether it's flop or draw. Um, or stud. Now the position rotates in some or whatever, but you know, depending on who stays in the hand and stuff too, the position can change. Um, sometimes position changes in stud when the better hand increases, you know, and then now that person has to act. So now your position is changing. So you have to have these skills to be able to transfer between each game. I think that that is when I talk about betting. I think that's the most popular one that you can sort of use from each. And he did it himself right away. He knew when to steal pots. And um, I like playing the different games too because 
like you said that you know you get to exercise these different muscles and stuff but as you get better at all the games you'll be able to recognize what players aren't good at those games mm-hmm. and so if you're in a like an eight game rotation you'll know this is the time to wake up and play more hands or if you're at a home game and someone you know isn't very good at a game not a home game but even it could be anything but if you're at a particular game where you're calling the game and you know three or four of these guys have no idea how to play Raz you call Raz you know or if you're in a horse tournament like I was at Palm Beach you know I ended up cashing in that tournament because so many people had no idea how to play you know that RSE, no idea, or they knew how to play stud, but they didn't understand stud eight. You know, they thought, oh, it's just stud, and if half the pot goes to someone else, big deal. They didn't think about it that way. So the more you know, you know, something like an NBC uh, public service <laughs> announcement. <laughs> but really, the more you know, the the more prepared you are. Think of them as tools in your toolbox, you know, or, or you know, bullets in your gun or whatever. However, it makes you. Um, but I'm glad that that. You know, this is what I'm talking about. I don't care about being nominated for things. This is what I talk about. When we can get somebody to appreciate the game and and think differently and enjoy it for a different reason because they listen to us, that I enjoy the most, and I think that's fantastic. And I'm glad he did it. And there you go. Now you've got, you know, watermelon inspired him to play an eight game mix, and now he loves it. You know. Well, and I'm sure Dean's going to realize now that he got in there and enjoyed it. It sounds like he enjoyed it, right? Mm-hmm. Now it just opens up so much more possibilities for him. Um, to, to be able to play, right? Yeah. You know, if all you know how to do is no limit hold'em, then I mean, online poker it's not as limiting because there's going to be a thousand tables that you can choose from, right? Um, <clears throat> but you can walk into a, a, a brick and mortar casino, which you might have to start doing now, um, based on what we're hearing that's going on in Australia online. Yeah. Um, now you walk in, and if there's a long wait, wait for no limit hold'em, but there's an open seat at Omaha, guess what? Now you're playing poker. Yep. Because now you're comfortable playing that other game, where if you're no limit hold'em, you'd be have to wait on that list for something else to come up. So, um, from a pure uh, poker enjoyment thing, I think that's the reason to learn uh, more games. Um, and then one more skill I forgot to throw in is in stud, you're learning to pay much closer attention to the action. Um, yes, you can't be lazy in stud and be successful in stud. You know, no limit hold'em, you get five exposed cards plus two in your hand. Stud, you've got all kinds of cards that are out there, and cards that were out there are now are not out there, uh, which doesn't happen happen in Hold'em. So it forces you to pay a, a much closer attention um, and to remember those cards that are out. Um, and and then I, I say this all the time: the more of those games you play, the more you can play Stud and Omaha and all those games. As soon as you go back to Noble and Hold'em, Noble and Hold'em seems so much easier. Yeah. Yeah, it it's like a relief. It may be really easier, but it just seems easier now because you know less less to worry about. And then, but if you keep that same level of intensity, now you're picking up things that you might have missed before. It's like in a home game when we play stud and then stud eight, and then someone calls limit hold'em. You can actually hear people go. Ah. <laughs> you know what I mean, you can hear them like, "All right, I get back to a game that's easy, you know, or a game that's not yeah. as especially limit hold'em where you can only lose so many bets." You know, it's like ah. Thank you. You know, thanks for calling that because it's just so it works your brain for so hard when you're playing stud constantly. Hey, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. Email us at podcast at annieupmagazine dot com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. Comes from our buddy Vic G. He says, uh, "Post flop action begins with a ten dollar bet." Next player tosses in three $5 chips. I suspect he didn't notice the bet and thought that he was opening the betting. It was apparent that he didn't... Uh, wait. Oh, it was apparent that he intentionally bet $15. The dealer asks the player if he'd like to call the $10 or raise to 20 Since when does a player have an option after putting chips into the pot? Since the four can't read the person's mind, it should be ruled a call or raise... What would Elliot rule in this situation? Well, it's a good thing that we asked Elliot. <laughs> uh, Elliot says this is a cut and dried situation. And first of all, I'm going to pause as a journalist and a person that enjoys the words in the English language to uh, com- uh, congratulate Elliot on saying cut and dried. Yeah, dried. It's the proper term. It's yes. back from uh, beef jerky, almost meat. You, know, you cut it and you dry it. Yes. Everybody says cut and dry. Yeah, no, cut and dried. Cut and dried. 
All right, so anyhow, this is a cut and dried situation. Thanks, Zoe. <laughs> There's 30 seconds I'm never going to get back. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the more you know. That we should have that's right. The stars and stuff going. You're absolutely right. All right, the player put in half of a raise and therefore must complete to a minimum raise. No other options are available. I almost thought I was reading my own quote when you described a supervisor's thought process. As I instruct my supervisors and explain to my players, when it comes to making rulings, if I have to read your mind, you can't win. Yeah, yeah pretty simple. Now, I would say in some rooms, again, it, it's the type of room that they're in. There's some rooms that I, I prefer to call more social rooms. Other mm-hmm. people might call them locals rooms. Yeah. Um, other people might use the word friendly. Um where they don't want to be so strict on, on those things. And if somebody, if the dealer actually thought the player didn't see the bet, um, may want to give them an option to see it. Um, I'm not defending that. I'm just saying I understand why some rooms allow players to do that um, and others don't. But from a technical standpoint, uh, I can agree with Elliot here and hope that most rooms um, would do that as well. Yeah. Uh, we're still in the same $100 tournament with O'Malley. Uh, we have a brand new move coming. Here it is. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are still in that 50-person $100 buy-in tournament. We're down to four-handed, with the rest of the payouts being $1,900, We have 12 big blinds and are in third place. We post our small blind, big blind posts behind us, the under-the-gun shoves for 10 big blinds, and the player directly to our right, the big stack at the table, shoves for his 30 big blinds. It's to us, and we look down at the 10 of hearts, 10 of clubs. So, are we making our stand here? What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. And if you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Yay. Hey, uh, our good friend Dave Beeson provides the Hand of the Week this week. And he says, uh, this is the final table of an Omaha high-low limit tournament with a brutal blind structure. I'm going to pause to say here, I've played a lot of Omaha 8 uh, limit tournaments. It's almost impossible to have a good blind structure. <laughs> That's right. It really is. I mean, because it's limit and, um, you know, you have to obviously make the levels go up. But at some point, you know, unless you give somebody 20,000, 30,000 units and then the tournament goes for seven days, um, at some point you're going to get in the middle of that tournament where the blinds just seem onerous with the chips in play not right. just you but chips everywhere right and it's just it's just a something you have to understand and the best thing about it is if you what i like to do is look at the structure beforehand and kind of predict when that's going to happen because you need to be sure you chipped up by that point so you can ride it out a little bit and then make sure uh how you're playing at that point that you're not being loose and crazy then because chips make a big difference at that blind level so I'm not sure that's what he encountered, but there's another 30 seconds of our lives. <laughs> exactly. It's trying to give you a cut and dried explanation. <laughs> oh, jeez. Killing uh, me. He says, all right, we're here down to nine-handed, and blinds are 1,500, 3,000. So betting for this round is 3,000, 6,000. I'm in the money, but the payouts won't get nice until fourth place. They're two smaller stacks, uh, but even if they were to get knocked out, the difference for my payout would only be 20 or 30 bucks. Uh, on the button, I have 11,000, and I'm starting to feel desperate after giving away 4,500 on the blinds. I uh, said I had absolute garbage facing pre flop raises. Uh, the blinds will be 3,000, 6,000 by the time it comes around to me again. Um, and the action folds to us, and we have the Deuce of Hearts, Tray of Clubs. Four of clubs, five of hearts. Hmm. Well, it's limit, so this is what's difficult about it. If it was no limit, I would say you could consider shoving here since you're only up going up against forced blinds that are in the money, you know, put in the pot, I mean, so. But when it's limit, I'm not really sure what to do here. Four X rays, too. So, yeah, it'd be, it could be effective, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Um,. Because if the big blind is three thousand, all we could do is make it six. 
you know, there's going to be nine, ten, ten thousand five hundred for that person to call three thousand. So they're going to get odds on their money anyway. And now you're stuck with, you know, I know they're four wheel cards, but you know, without that ace, if it was one of if the five was an ace or something, I'd be like, definitely, let's go full bore with this and whatever. But I'm not saying I don't play deuce tray when I'm or four wheel cards when I'm playing this game. It's just we're so close. We only have eleven thousand chips. You know. That if we raise, can we fold? You know, I mean, I, I don't. And then if you, you know, I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I would just. I can't call. I don't know if I can call three thousand. You know, then I'm down to eight, and the the blinds are going up, probably. So, I don't know. I I to me, I guess I would play this hand, and I guess I would play it for a raise. I just I hate playing limit, and I hate Omaha eight. So. It's tough for me to to really weigh in on this, but I probably would raise. Um, yeah, so I can defend almost everything here, but I'm going to raise. So I can defend a uh, fold just because we're on the button and it's nine-handed, so we're going to get a lot of free cards here. Uh, free hands, I mean, to look at before we have to really commit. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you're not feeling it with this hand, uh, there's no shame in getting out um, because of that. Um, calling I think is the weakest play here because now you've committed a fourth of your stack um, and haven't given yourself a chance to win it right now um, so you can get away obviously on the flop if you don't like but now you're down to 8,000 and uh, the next hand you play you definitely have to be all in so um, I, I said I could defend calling I, I it's a very weak defense of calling, so right. let's try not to do that. Um, why I like raising here is uh, this is a hand that has a lot of potential. You're right; it'd be a lot better if it had an ace. Um, but hey, you know, I wish I had a Ferrari too. We don't get everything we want. That's right. Um, so the good thing is, it's folded around to us. So now we just have to get through the blinds. Um, and I know people that have transitioned from no limit to limit. One of their big beefs is you can't push people off hands with a single raise. But this type of tournament with these kind of blinds, uh, people are very selective about the hands they play. So it is actually possible to pick up the blinds here with that single race that you can do. So there is a chance that we could pick up those blinds. And if we do, that's significant. That's 4,500 that we can add to our, our stack. Um, that's going to allow us to play a couple of hands. Um, but even if we do get called uh, with the raise, uh, we've got a hand that has so many options. You know, if an ace comes with another low card, we're as close to guaranteed as you can get of having um, a low and the nut low <clears throat> with these cards. Um, so, you know, then that gives us the protection to continue to, to get all of our chips in um, in the hopes that we could scoop because our hand has the potential of, you know, winning both ways. Um and if the flop comes all high cards and no clubs and no hearts, then this is why I like Omaha 8. We can get out at that point. So, yeah, yeah we, we put 6000 in, so that's half our stack. But there's no reason for us to willy-nilly just throw our last 5000 in on a hand that we have no chance of winning, right? Mm-hmm. So we can get out of this if it's a disaster flop. Um, but it's really hard to imagine a disaster flop with what we have here. You know, we've got two pair possibilities that could turn into a full house. We've got a lot of low possibilities. We've got flush possibilities and two straight flush possibilities here. So we got a lot of potential with this hand. Um, so I really hope that players are playing. Don't uh, have that when I said before, you don't have a feeling for this hand and want to fold it because I think this is a amazing hand to get in this spot of a tournament um, in Omaha 8. And I'm going to raise... Hopefully everybody folds it. I'll pick up the forty five hundred. Not to worry about anything. But if they do call, uh, let's hope for a good flop. But yeah, yeah. I have no problem getting my my stack in with this hand um, as long as I get a flop that I think I have potential with. I don't mind a fold and I don't mind a raise. Uh, the call just doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't. Oh. It seems like it's a waste. You're not doing anything other than just draining your stack and hoping um, to get the right flop. At least the other way, you have a way to win already by raising. And if you fold, no harm, no foul. You got a few more hands to go. You might pick up a double A suited or something. You never knew you're gonna get. So um, I don't mind the fold and I don't mind the raise, but the call is is a mistake. So I think 
So yeah, let's... and I'll say the biggest mistake I see in Omaha eight tournaments, particularly this late, is people calling instead of folding or raising. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's what it is. People look at their chip stack and like, God, I want to play this hand, but I, I don't want to commit too much. And next thing you know, like four hands later, you look down and you get nothing. Yeah, why is it? Because you called, put no pressure on anybody, and then you folded on the flop, and those chips are so much more valuable to you now if you hadn't just spewed them away. Yeah. Um, all right, so our hero says, I hope to steal the blinds with a raise to 6,000. This has been successful at the final table with everyone hoping to stick around long enough for the fourth place payout. He says, it's worked on me. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly, that's what I said. You know, people now are looking at that, and, you know, they're not uh, they're not looking at it as just one bet. They're looking at it as a 3,000 chip raise. That makes a big difference. Yeah. Small blind folds, but the big blind calls. Uh, he says, our villain is normally very passive. I sat next to him on an early table until it broke. I'm frankly amazed he is still in the tournament. And even more amazed he is uh, third in chip with about 22,000. The average stack at this point is about 17,000. I didn't see him collect the stack, but based on his early play, he must have been on a major card here. Uh, flop comes ace of spades, ace of clubs, six of hearts, and our opponent bets. Well, we can't. I don't think we can fold because we raised, and there's so much out there, and we've got the nut low no matter what. If a low comes, yep. we're not losing the low. Um, plus, we got backdoor, backdoor clubs, backdoor hearts, even a backdoor straight if it somehow comes. But there's such a big pot, and we've committed to this. And even if the guy has an ace, you know, you're still gonna, you can still win half pretty much guaranteed if it gets there. I mean, he, he may court you, who knows. But I can't fold now, because what kind of flop were you hoping for with 2, 3, 4, 5? You're hoping yes. exactly for 8, 6. Exactly. I'm going to say the only floppable, I mean, foldable flop are is like Broadway. 9, 10, jack. Yeah. Uh, with no clubs, no hearts. And that way we have absolutely no chance of winning other than like some kind of weird runner-runner trip thing kind of thing. Right. And, and that's an easy fold. But this, I mean, obviously he does have an ace. Uh, I'd be shocked if he didn't have an ace. Um, it's possible he has an ace six already and has the full house, which means we're um, the low. probably drawing dead uh, to the high. Although I guess it's still possible we can. We can you can still yeah. make a straight flush. You can still run a runner straight flush here, so yeah. it's still possible. Yeah. Um, but our low has to be live to at least stay in the tournament. And that's the other thing you got to think about about these Omaha A tournaments is survival. I mean. Part of it is that you don't want to be in a hand just to survive because you lose chips that are valuable. Um, but, you know, if you could stay in a hand with a reasonable chance that you're not going to be eliminated and have a chance of still making more chips, that's a hand you want to stay in. So right now I'm feeling really good about my low. It's possible that he could have deuce tray as well, although I would imagine if he had ace deuce tray, he would have raised us back pre-flop. So... Um, I'm feeling really good about our low. Obviously, this is why people hate Omaha 8 is because it's not guaranteed yet. Yeah. If you get a high card on the turn, that's not a uh, heart or a club. That's going to hurt. Um, but uh, right now, um, yeah, I think I'm committed to this hand. So You might as well just get it in because you're not going to just call three and then hope to save two. So. You might as well, just well that's an interesting right? thing. So here's the thing. is uh, um, We're all reasonably sure he has the ace, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't see much of a option, a reason to raise here. Um, I think now we've got six, so nine, so at least two thousand. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess right. I'm sorry, I didn't do the math right. Yeah, yes. if you call yeah. three thousand, you yeah, only have you know, two left. left. So I mean, we're not gonna. Like, it's not even a barely. A, it's not even the big blind. Right, because we still it's still worth it in terms of chips to stick around for the river. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think you got to raise, get it in, and um, let's just hope the Omaha gods are on our uh, side. All right, Erica says, uh, what to do? If I fold now, I'll have uh, just 5K. Might be able to outlast one or two other people, but I really doubt it. I decide that this is my time. Not low draw plus 12 outs to a straight. I re-raise my last 5,000 and get called. Well, Big wait a minute. Hey, 12 outs to a straight. He doesn't have any outs to a straight yet. He only has a six. Uh, that's correct. Right? He can't make a straight on the next card. Yeah, that's interesting. You're right. So those outs don't count. I mean, he's got the not low draw. That's it. That's all yeah. he has. Uh, With backdoor opportunity. Yeah, he's going to run a runner. He's right. got so many backdoors, he doesn't need a front door. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. He doesn't have yeah. any. 
Hey, no, no way of winning the high on, on the turn card. Right, yeah, that's right. That's okay, good. All right, uh, Big Blind shows King of Hearts, Seven of Spades, Nine of Clubs, Jack of Hearts. <laughs> wait, wait, what? We're ahead? Oh, no, not ahead, but... We're, not ahead. But, no, we're, but we're, wow. Nowhere near as far behind as we thought we were. Now we've picked up a lot of outs because any one of our cards gives us the win right now. Uh, yeah, the problem is is that he's got both our clubs in our hearts locked down. So yeah. That, that really hurts. When I look at that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's great. And then I start looking at it like, oh, my chances. So so now to, to win the high, we're going to need the straights. But the flushes aren't going to help. Well, no, we can hit a deuce, a three, a four, or a five and win. He doesn't have a pair except for the aces on the board. Oh, that's true, too. Right. So now we've picked, uh, what, three, six, nine, twelve outs that weren't the straight that we thought we had. We have them for the, the pairs. <laughs> to get ahead of this guy and then we have the low to help us so wow we could scoop good all right this game all right here it says i stand up flabbergasted that he won called the pre-flop raise two bet with air post-flop and three called my re-raise post-flop the dude has nothing not even a draw but his nothing is better than mine (laughs) (laughs) all right so before the hand i like uh, i like these uh questions so um yeah, I don't see much upside for him calling that pre-flop raise. He's got to assume that you, when you make that raise pre-flop, unless the flop, like we said, unless the flop is a disaster, you're going to bet again. So is he really going to put half a stack in on this hand, uh, on this crappy hand? So, yeah, I think I would have folded that as well. Um, and then betting out, I mean, that's kind of a risky move too. I mean, at that point, he has to assume that we don't have an ace. If we have an ace, we're not going anywhere, right? Yeah. So what happens if we bet if he bets out and then we raise him? Is he gonna fold now? It doesn't make sense too because when he described this guy before, let me check my notes. Yeah, it's passive. Yeah, he said he was passive. Very passive. Right? And so he, I can see him calling the raise because he's already got three invested. If you made it six, there's ten and a half out there. It's only cost him three to win ten and a half. And it is Omaha. Anything can come on those flops. These guys see a suited King Jack of Hearts and they think they've got the world. So you know, I, I can see that. But then the bet out, when he misses it completely, when he knows that we raise, we generally have an ace when you raise in this game. So that means that person probably has three aces. What are you hoping to accomplish with a bet out there because you've missed it completely with those four cards? Yeah, you're going to need a lot of help to win So this. passive. It just feels like this guy is not passive at all. He's just clueless. It's possible that he, again, I mean, he, he might have been passive early on, and then you know Dave left. And they got split up, and I came back to the chip stack. This guy might be very good at Omaha and just, you know, was conservative with his chips at the beginning and then shifted gears and played to that persona. Well, if he's very good at Omaha, let me ask you, how many very good Omaha players face a raise (laughs) and then bet into ace-a-6? So I don't know what this guy's like a conundrum wrapped in a, I don't know, just craziness. (laughs) What the hell? Yeah, there, there's absolutely no upside to, to betting that that, that flop. Um, and then call my re-raise post-flop. Um, I guess at that point, I mean, he figured... Well, the re-raise, hey, he has to call. got 6,000 in, uh, 5,000, you know, who knows? Something could happen. Yeah, that's a massive pot to not call 2,000 yeah. at that point. Because it's still only going to hurt this guy a little bit. He had 22,000 going in. That's what I'm saying. I yeah. mean, at the, at the worst case, you lose. I mean, you lose half your stack. That's a big. If you, it depends how you want to spin this. You you lose half your stack. You're like, because <gasps> you're only lose half your stack, right? Right. Um, but if he loses half the stack, he's right back to where you were before the hand started. Um, and he's got a small blind coming up, but then he then he's got you know some free, a lot of free hands just come. So, and I guess if you can eliminate someone. But, I mean, this is the problem. Is I, I when I have a stack like this, I don't like being the. Sh- I don't feel like I need to be the table captain, the sheriff. You know, I don't feel like I need to be the one knocking people out just because I have the chip stack. Right. And maybe that's what he thinks. And maybe he's like, hey, you know, I got all these chips. I got to put them to, to use. But uh, wow. I would have been out of this pre-flop. So, and then I think he just invited more danger by betting uh, on the flop. So, but uh, throughout all that, as our hero says, right now that guy's still winning. <laughs> Yeah, that's bizarre. But we have a lot more outs than I thought we were going to have because of that. All right, uh, the turn is at 10. 
And the river is a jack. Oh. No, no hope for dead money, Dave. Oh. He said, other than massively misreading his hand, what kind of thinking keeps this guy in the hand? I think that explained it. He, he just felt like he needed to use his chips and knock somebody out. It's unfortunate. Uh, should I save my 5K? Am I basically at an M of one at that point? Nope, I don't think so. And should I fold this hand preflop, hoping for a miracle in the next eight hands? Uh, with 11K, I would have one chance to really double up. Uh, my experience with Omaha is if you wait for that perfect hand, you're going to be waiting. So, I mean, I... I Nothing changes for me in this. That I, that's a hand that I look forward to getting when I got this chip stack. More than happy to raise and get it all in um, on that kind of flop. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't consider it a miracle uh, over eight hands. I mean, you probably would have picked up another hand that was worth raising with, or at least playing. I don't know, but I don't think I don't think a fold is a mistake there. Maybe it is a mistake, but I don't really discredit that play I, I um but if he did fold i think he could have gotten another hand later maybe a better situation maybe the short stack is is one in the blinds you know or in the small blind where if he folds he can still get away with seeing eight more hands so he might fold to a race so there are situations that might have come up in within your situation that warranted shoving with something that's not as premium as two three four five um but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't say you made a mistake if you folded but i would have made a mistake I think if you called um, yeah I mean it is interesting I mean it is important to look at your spot at the table and the fact that you did have um, six or what six or seven free hands coming right um, so that is a powerful incentive to wait for something better uh, the problem is is then then you got to decide every hand you get whether that's the better hand right Right. And every hand that you get that you decide is not a better hand than that, now you get a little bit more desperate. And that next hand, you look at a little, uh, looks a little shinier than it should. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So then what happens, you know, if you get a, uh, let's say you have a suited ace with like two high cards. Um, now you have really low, uh, a small chance at a low, uh, and you have to hit that flush probably to win the high. Is that a better hand than what we have here? I mean, this hand has so many. Pot- uh, so many possibilities, uh, particularly if an ace flops, they just great, and it did. I mean, obviously two did, but it didn't really matter. But um, I, I like this hand a lot. Uh, I definitely would have raised and got it in, and I no qualms. Yeah, I agree. All right, I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antietmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antietmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.